0: In a glass case of emotion. I do whatever it takes to set me free. No, it's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. I do everything to get what I need. Hold on to your
1: butts. Welcome to the Citywide Podcast. I am here today with Vice President of Sales Tyler Olson, along with Mitch Burnett, the VP of Operations. Today we'll be discussing Decentralized Command, which is an important principle for teams to be able to employ if they are to continue to have effective operations as they grow and expand. As a reminder of the citywide mission is to be the best, we are world-class managers of commercial building maintenance that lead our industry in client, employee, and stakeholder experience. Employing principles such as Decentralized Command will be key for the teams to continue to execute this mission under growth conditions. Let's dive in. What exactly is Decentralized Command?
2: Decentralized Command is basically a principle that allows teams to work in unison toward a common goal without having all decisions and direction coming from one leader. So it's essentially allowing people to make tactical game time decisions on their own without having to have delays and go back and run stuff up and down the chain of command to be able to, you know, do I step with my left foot now or do I step with my right foot now? It's like, well, you should know how to walk, go walk, right? Kind of a thing.
1: So you're talking about autonomy, basically.
2: In a way, yeah. It's, it's organized autonomy because of what we're going to get into with knowing the general principles behind what are the goals and, and intent behind what the company's trying to do.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, we need people to be able to operate in this capacity because each leader in our office can really only lead about four to six people. And that's not just within citywide of Minnesota. It's pretty widely accepted in the business community. You will see organizations that allow people to lead many more people in that, but to truly effectively lead people in a service industry like ours, we've determined four to six is about right. And ultimately by using this, it's gonna allow like our subordinate individuals and, and team players to be able to make decisions on their own. And bring those decisions to leadership instead of waiting for one of us to tell them what to do.
2: It'd be like, imagine you were a frontline team member, whether it was an FSM or a CCM or somebody else in our organization. And every decision had to go all the way up the chain of command to Greg for him to say, do X, and then all the way back down to you. And how much delay that would put in your day it would be just so much wasted time. If we had to go up the chain of command for every little decision we have to make, it would completely go against one of our main core competencies that we have on our poster upstairs at the top of the stairs, which is operational tempo. You know, we pride ourselves on being able to operate at a high tempo and get things done quickly and effectively for our customers. Going back to our mission statement about being the best and providing world-class experience, being able to respond quickly and effectively is key to that. So if we had to run
0: things up and down the chain of command, it would never get done that doesn't mean that people can just go out and do their own thing and run their own programmer that would be literal and like utter chaos. Um, so instead on another podcast, we talked about our management strategies and essentially those are some parameters that people can operate within. And essentially what that allows us to do is to give people some guidelines that they know to follow and, and operate within. But then when they see something that doesn't fit, In those lines, they kind of have that little red flag go off and they realize, well, here's what I would normally do. Here's why I need to kind of operate away from that, you know, Mitch or Tyler, here's what I want to do and why are you good with that? And they communicate up and sometimes they have to give us a timeline of when we can answer them back by, or that's what they're doing. And we have to live with it because it can be time sensitive. So it's not just do whatever you want, but it's make a really good educated decision, Maybe talk to a peer about it and then run it up and tell us what your plan is and when.
2: Yeah. And in beyond that, sometimes those decisions aren't, you're not even able to run it up the chain or, or send us a, here's what I want to do. You just have to do something. And then at the end of the day, you can debrief it in your one-on-ones and your recaps and say, here's what happened. Here was the outcome. And then, you know, between you and Mitch or you and I or Brian, whoever you your one one-on-one is with being able to say, this is what happened, what could we have done better next time for, you know, if this decision wasn't right, and if it was the right decision, what are we gonna communicate with the team to make sure, hey, if you guys, this is what happened, here's what the decision was, here's what the action was taken, this is what we should do if this ever comes up in your territory.
1: So what needs to be done to enact decentralized command?
2: The biggest key to decentralized command is subordinate leaders and individuals needing to understand the overall company's mission and kind of the intent behind it. We like to call it, it comes from one of the Jocko books that we subscribe to, Extreme Ownership. It's Commander's Intent. You know, what is the actual goal of the company and mission so that when you make a decision, you understand the decision I make needs to align with us getting to point, from point A to point B. Our goal is to get to point B. Will this help move the needle there or is it going to move us over towards point C? And people really understanding what that is in detail helps them make those educated decisions.
0: Yeah. So you started with the example, the mission statement, which we lead off every podcast with this. We talk about mission statement at the beginning of every one of our company meetings. We want to be the best. And it's really up to each individual leader to make sure that their team understands what the best means. And we want to be the best provider in town. We're not trying to be the biggest janitorial provider in town. And we're not even trying to be perfect because that would be an unreasonable and unattainable goal. We're in the service industry and we work with people that are going to make errors. So a brief example of what the best means is we want to be the best at setting up, implementing, and organizing how we take care of and manage a client's property. And that when something goes wrong, it's abnormal. That client can communicate with us, get a very high level response and a quick response and a solution in place in a timely manner. That's one example of what being the best might look like. And Beyond that, we can't just look at the individual like little tactical goal. We've got to make sure they understand why that's our goal. We want to be the best because it allows the sales team to be able to sell us because we are the best. It allows them to explain what is different about citywide versus our competition. Another good example would be star accounts that we manage and oversee. That's a tactical thing that we do, but it's up to me and my other leaders to explain why we make star account visits. Clients sometimes will say like, oh, I'm a star client, I'm one of your best clients. Think of a star as, a, as a, like a high level you thing. You got a gold it's, star. Yeah, you got yeah. a gold star, you're a huge client. But in reality, it's, it's, an, it's a client that we're in trouble with. So we put them on a list and we put a number of stars next to them based on how much trouble we're in and how at risk we are of losing that client. And so the reason we make those visits, that's the the tactical thing is the visit. The reason why is we want to save the client. So go get the building as clean as it should be, get the client's approval that they agree, continue to get feedback from them, and then lower them off that program. We keep more business, we grow, the sales team can keep selling us. So it's really just kind of explaining the why.
2: Yeah. The reason people need to know the why with something like star visits is where it comes into the actual decentralized command portion is if they understand what the importance of a star visit is and how important that is to the, we might lose this customer when they're trying to prioritize their night of, I've got 10 things to do and I'm going to get eight things done. Where do I start? They can go, okay, star visits are on the top, then normal requests, then everything else and making sure that they can prioritize their night and then know what they can ask for help with without having to go all the way back up to Mitch and going, hey, my star visits are this. I got this going on and this going on. What should I do? Well, let's prioritize and go execute. That's the key to knowing the why.
1: So why is decentralized command really important?
0: Our teams need to be able to operate and make decisions in the field quickly, and they need to be able to make effective decisions that allow us to move the company forward. Tyler talked a little bit earlier about if everything had to come all the way up to me or him or Brian or all the way to Greg, it would take us forever to move. So we simply can't live in that environment, it wouldn't work. So there's a lot less wasted time when people can make decisions and know how to operate. It gives them freedom to make decisions more quickly, like we already talked about, but it allows them to understand what they can and can't do. And then I think the ultimate thing as a leader that we want is we want people to make and own their decisions because if they can do that, that means they're growing, which means we as an organization are growing and we're going to find ourselves with more leaders on our hands than what we had ever planned for. So they need to be able to take ownership over their process and understand the process and then ultimately they could teach out to others. And then the last thing is it allows us to cover and move, which is a military term, which is essentially a couple of guys need to be able to move from point A to point B, and maybe one guy stands back and provides uh, gunfire or is prepared to provide gunfire so the other guy can move. And then the next guy moves to that point while the other guy provides cover, and that way um, you can continue to move forward.
2: Yeah, and if people don't fully and confidently understand the mission the intent behind the commander's intent to be able to have the decentralized command and manage it effectively, they're not going to feel confident and they're not going to make the decisions. And really, Mitch has already mentioned this once, but it's the leader's job to have explained it, explain the why. But really, it also goes back to the, the subordinates you know job is to, if you don't understand and you don't feel confident making your decisions, running it up the chain of command as well. So saying, hey, I don't understand why. We do star visits and why they're so important, you know, if you're a new CCM. Can you explain to me why this is more important than this portion of my job? You know, and and being able to understand that intent goes a really, really long way.
1: Who does decentralized command pertain to in citywide?
2: Really, it... It pertains to all of our team members in CityWide. Um, Biggest thing is none of us are truly frontline troops because we aren't the ones who are actually cleaning the building. So essentially every person who is a true employee that we see in the office on a weekly basis is some level of a manager. You're managing some portion of CityWide's business. Um, So you need to be able to have the ability to make decisions off of the company's overall mission and intent and have the ability to you know, describe what the overall mission and commander's intent is down the chain of command as well. All the way down to, you know, a cleaner, why do I have to have a name badge on is a great one for their team. You know, and getting people to understand you have to wear your uniform and have a name badge on, even though you're not a citywide employee because it's in this document that we promised our customer we're gonna do it. You know, being able to explain that all the way around to them so they get that we're just not being mean, that we're actually executing on what the customer requesting of us versus just saying, I got to wear a uniform because we want you to. Um, so night managers, office manager, you know, and sales executive, sales associate, BDS, FSM, everybody has to be able to understand the overall commander's
0: intent and then communicate different intents down the chain of command as well. So it really pertains to everybody. If we know the commander's intent and how that pertains to each of our individual contributions within our roles, we're going to be able to implement Decentralized Command as a team and be able to effectively function as a company.
1: So what are some examples you've witnessed in Citywide around Decentralized Command?
0: So we got kind of three examples from
2: the three different main departments. First one I'm gonna go with is on the sales team, we do something called, we call it quarterly drops. And really, you know, we drop into buildings doing cold calls every week and drop off the same marketing packet or an evolving but similar marketing packet of information, a business card, who we are. But then once a quarter, we try to pick our top 100 customers for that quarter that we're gonna go prospect to. And we put together some sort of marketing drop that usually has um, you know, some sort of token thing that they're going to keep around. We've done, you know, coffee cups, we've done bottle openers, we've done all sorts of different things, thermoses, something that says citywide on it, they're going to keep around, they're going to utilize and then remind them of it. So that's the intent behind a quarterly drop. When I first started, Greg already had implemented this process and kind of handed it off to me. And he didn't give me a, you know, a detailed list of, you need to do these 17 steps. It was, I need to do this quarterly. Here's your budget. I wanted to get to about this many people and I wanted to be, you know, when you drop something off, make sure it's something high quality that people are going to keep around and associate something high quality with citywide. That was pretty much it. Um, and since then, I've been able to take that and execute it for the last five, six years that I've been handling it front to back. And then just recently been able to basically turn around and hand it off to another person on the sales team. Now at this point, Caitlin's been handling it now for the last seven months, I think ish she's done the last three quarterly drops. And I gave her pretty much the same intent. And it's since she understood it has been able to turn around, come up with an idea, say, here's the two options. You know, let's discuss it as a team. What do we like better pick one and then go distribute it. And I haven't had to do almost any background work because I just explained to her, here's the same intent that Greg explained to me. Here's your budget. Here's how many people we want to give it to, and we want it to be something high quality that they're going to keep around and remember citywide. And that was just a really basic example of one of the things we do where there was just some commander's intent without a standard SOP of do this and then this, then this, then this, and it's just executed pretty much every quarter. One of the best things is like, I'll have done these quarterly drops. You know, I haven't done that many anymore because I don't really run one of the territories at this point. But... I'll be like riding along with a sales executive, and we go into a building that you know is a top 100. That's perennially been a top 100, and probably gotten you know at least two drops a year or one drop a year. You walk in, and the person sitting at the front has a citywide mug sitting on their desk, and you're like, "Oh, you know us? Yeah, we're them. We're here to talk to you. That's <laughs> me. That's me. I picked I'm Glad analog. you keep that around." <laughs> and. You actually, at this point, you see it more often than not, you know, walk in and they recognize at this point, they just like hold up their water cup or they hold up their coffee mug and they're like, yeah, we know you, we know who you are. And then you can get in your spiel and almost use that as an icebreaker. So it goes a long way. A second example that I'm going to go through for uh, Brian, who's our VP of administration, he's not here, but I had asked for some feedback from our leadership team on a couple of these examples. One of them was we just recently hired an HR manager, some new position we hadn't had before. We'd kind of handled it in-house through a couple different people leading up to that. But one of the things that Brian had to cover with Beth, our new HR manager, is the intent behind hiring good candidates in as quickly of amount of time as reasonable. So with that, we don't need to hire just to hire, but we need to hire the right candidate in as quickly amount of time as we can. And then she took it and ran with it and made a number of tactical decisions based on what he told her with that, which is, what should we be posting as far as verbiage, how should the posts read, where should they be posted, what databases are we posting in, Indeed, et cetera what should the response system be like from application to them getting at least a response email from us, what should that system look like and how quickly should they be turning through the system? And then also just, she did a really good job of, at least with me, I'm sure she did it with Mitch as well, but she basically interviewed me when she first started and was like, what are all your positions? What do they do? What are the needs? So that when we had an opening for a sales executive or a BDS or something, she was able to Just post it and do the initial interview and get us good candidates right off the bat. I mean, she filled
0: up a couple of open positions in a hurry for us. uh, Yeah, for sure. In short order. Yeah, we've had a position that historically has been really challenging to fill. And we had three openings. And we filled all three very, very quickly in a manner that really surprised me. And I think one of the things that Brian did well that allowed Beth to really maneuver and do whatever she wanted to do was he just said, You're the professional. We hired you for a reason. You know HR, you know how to recruit, you know how to find people. Go tell us everything you think we're doing wrong and just peel open the playbook and, and let's talk about what we can break down and where we might need or want to start over. And she did that and kind of put everything on the table and we made some adjustments and I think that's what kind of allowed us to get there. So I guess shifting gears into to my example, uh, mine's going to hit home with Tyler a little bit because it's in regard to buildings that sometimes get underbid. And it's not, intentional by, it's not intentional by the sales team, but it happens for a number of reasons. It could be inexperience. It could be that there was some information that they didn't know mattered. Without going into specifics of the actual example, we have a, a building that we clean and we cleaned it for about a year. And two or three contractors would clean it and quit within 30 to 60 days. And they'd all say the exact same thing. It takes five hours to clean it. You're only paying me for three and a half. It's not worth it to me. And then the next one would start and we'd get them going and 60 days later, they'd say the same thing. And so finally, we just went to one of our bigger contractors and said, hey, we need your help. Can you please take care of this property for us? We know you're super efficient. Well, they did it for us for like six months. And then they came to us and said, you know, I'll keep doing this if I have to, but really at the end of the day, it's taken me four hours and you're, Whatever, four and a half you only really pay me for three, whatever the number was. And so my FSM on that account recognized and understood if you're going to come to me and ask for more money or ask to put a new price in front of our client, these things need to happen. And if you are a Vikings fan, which I know you are, uh, Christina, um, Paul Allen, uh, um, who's the announcer for the Vikings, has his radio show, and he often says, ah, box, you put me in a box. Like, how can I get out of this? You, just, you hit every angle. There's no way for me to get out of it. And that's what this FSM did to me. They came to me with... It takes this long to clean it. I've had four contractors turn it in. I put my best contractor in there who will normally deal with this stuff. They still couldn't get it right. I sent my night uh, CCM out there to verify beginning to end how long it takes over several nights, looked for every efficiency and couldn't find one. They're still asking me for more money. Here's what I wanna do. I think we need to propose an increase to the client of this amount. I assume you don't wanna just pay more money and lose money, Mitch, based on the size of this client and the situation. Uh, So I would propose we do this and move forward. And so they said, let's pay the crew for 40 days. Then I'm gonna go to the client and say, hey client, I've been overpaying my cleaners to clean your site. That's why you've been happy for the last 50 days. Here's our new price, effective 40 days from today. So the client had enough warning if they wanted to terminate us and move on or to be reasonable and sign the agreement. When my account manager comes to me with that, it's nearly impossible for me to argue with them when it's that well put together. And I was stuck, there was nothing else I could do except for ask a few probing questions and go, okay, you win, that's what we're going to do. If they would have come to me and said, you know, nobody likes this account and everybody quits it and it takes like, I don't know, like seven hours to clean it and you're only paying them for three, uh, they're just not happy, I need more money. There's a really big difference in those two scenarios. So we've now done that exact scenario where that whole process was done right in the last, let's call it 15 months, We've had to go through that with about five or six clients. Every single client has signed the new deal, and we've kept them, which is remarkable. I never would have anticipated that happen. But the first one that went that well from the FSM's position was the original one that I was explaining, which just happened about 60 days ago, uh, which I thought was a pretty good example. So good example one failure and one
2: triumph. <laughs> it happens. Sorry, Tyler. That's all right.
1: Uh, so let's summarize uh, what people should take away from today.
2: So kind of just to give a full summary, um, Decentralized command is really leaders being willing to let people make decisions about situations and then expect them to make the decisions. So you have to allow them to do it and then expect them to do it. An employee's job is to inform their boss what happened. If the wrong or a better decision should have been made, it is the leader's job to then coach and train them on the future instances. So basically debriefing it with them. Allow them to make the decision, expect them to actually go make decisions, and then if something happens where it was the wrong or there could have been a better one, let's debrief it and train on it and let the team know as well so that it can be spread across the whole team.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is to thank people for making decisions. Like I I cannot tell you how awesome it is when somebody puts me in a box and I have no other way. I'm like, dang, one really good job. Thank you for thinking all the way through that and not making me do all the work for you and allowing me to just add this one little tweak. And it's just now please go help your peers do the same thing or we need to communicate out to the team that you can do that as well so that other people know how to get to that result at the end of the day.
2: All right, so to just wrap this one up, if you're a leader on the team, if you have anybody who reports to you all the way down to CCMs who are dealing with the contractors out in the field, you need to make sure that you're explaining intent behind things to everybody and having a real clear Uh, explanation as to the why, not just go do it because I said so. And if you are somebody who reports to somebody else and you don't fully understand the why behind something, you really need to make sure you take the time to go ask. That's part of why you have weekly recaps is to be able to develop and understand things better. To make sure that whether you're going up the chain or down the chain, that you are really understanding what's going on.